going to start from verse uh, 39 in chapter 5. And if you have been following faithfully in our sermon uh, series in the book of John and wondering why, why we don't pick up from where we left last Sunday, uh, it's because the text was big and I couldn't do justice to the whole text. So I decided to cut out uh, the dessert and appetizer and try to be faithful to the main, main course. So that's what it is. So verse 39 through uh, 47. So if you're able, uh, please stand for the reading of God's words. John chapter 5, uh, verse 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. And if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the, holy God, from the only God. But do, you, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you, you, your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Please be seated. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity uh, once again. We feel so blessed to form this church as living stones coming from different parts of the city. Lord, indeed we are a spiritual temple in which you dwell. We're so privileged to be part of this local body, the body of Christ Jesus Lord, we thank you for uh, the, this portion of the worship right now, being able, to, being able to sit under the teaching of your word, and pray that you will humble us under your mighty hand. Humble us under your powerful and life-giving words, that you may teach us, you may correct us, and transform us, and you may free us, because Jesus says, if you know the truth, and it will set you free. The Son will set you free. Lord, we want to be set free from our slavery to this world, to our flesh, to our idols, and we want to worship you. Lord, please teach us through the text. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now the text uh, for today, I believe, is, a, is, is such a profound text about... Uh, about the human nature and the nature of eternal life. I just said that it's a profound text about the human nature and the nature of eternal life, and you will see what I'm talking about. Now, people, especially religious people, desire to have eternal life. I mean, that's their goal, you know. The, the Jews here and their religious leaders, you know, they want to secure their place in heaven, and that's their number one uh, purpose uh, in life, in their religious pursuit. And however, the problem during the days of Jesus was that even though the Jewish people wanted to have eternal life, they did not want God in a true sense. 
Now, to those Jewish people, especially to the religious, religious leaders who were desperately seeking to have eternal life, uh, Jesus is saying, you do not want eternal life. You seem to want to have eternal life, but in a true sense, you do not want eternal life. To them, Jesus said in verse 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Now he repeats the same thing in verse 46. For if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote of me. He's talking about basically Old Testament, the Torah. And then he, he goes on on verse, verse 40. He says, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, he's, what he's saying is that how can you not want God and still want to have eternal life? They're not separate things. So the biggest hindrance for the Jews when it came to coming to God was the pursuit of their own glory, as we shall see as the story unfolds. Now this is the root problem. This is the root of man's sin nature. Because we want to, people want to steal glory that belong to God. So with the text for today, I'd like to talk about two things. Now, if, you're, if you want to have a three-point sermon, I can give you the third point at the end, which is about you know, uh, practical application. But the main two points at the beginning will be this, vain glory and eternal life. We'll talk about vain glory, and then we'll talk about eternal life. Now, in the text, Jesus, Jesus clearly states that the biggest hindrance for the Jews or people to coming to God is the pursuit of their own glory. In verse 44, he says, How can you believe? In other words, how can you dare to have eternal life? How can you believe when you receive glory from, from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the, from the only God? And how can you believe? Now, how can you, can you say you seek eternal life when you don't care about the glory that comes from, from God, the only God, and receive, try to receive glory from one another? Now, after the fall, humans are born with this inborn craving for glory. The word glory may seem uh, somewhat lofty, and it can be replaced with the words like acceptance, affirmation, praise, or approval. Now, when there's a lack of affirmation, praise, or approval, it re- usually results in uh, shame or low self-esteem. So the reason why the Jews could not come to Jesus was that they were seeking their own glory from one another. They were seeking their, 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 the world's glory, the vain glory, instead of seeking God and His glory. And one of the things that dis- distinguished and separated Jesus from the Jews, from, from you know, ordinary people like us, was the fact that He did not seek glory from man. That's what He says in verse 41. Now, you see the shift He was talking about eternal life in verse 39 and 40. He was talking about eternal life. You do not come to me to have eternal life. And in verse verse 41, he talks about glory. He says, I do not receive glory from people. So there should be, there must be, uh, you know, relevancy and and, and connection between uh, seeking glory and seeking eternal life. And he says, he was not seeking uh, the affirmation or the approval of man. He was completely secure apart from people's affirmation or approval. However, 
We're not usually free from our dependence on, on our, on our, or on our slavery uh, to people's affirmation or approval. Now, most of us, if we're honest, seek and crave for people's affirmation and approval unceasingly and desperately. And the problem is that as long as we seek glory, praise, affirmation, and approval from people, we are unable to believe in God. And this is exactly what Jesus meant to say in verse 44. How can you believe? When you receive glory from from one another, how can you believe? Man's inordinate craving for earthly glory, or vain glory, or people's affirmation and approval, not only keeps them from believing in God, but destroys and even kills them. So often we forfeit peace from God and bear pain needlessly due to our ceaseless pursuit of vain glory. For instance, unfortunately, as you might know, Korea is notorious for recording one of the highest suicide rates in the world. But interestingly, not just poor or unfortunate people end their lives by committing suicide, but those who who are rich and famous They also commit suicide as well, like celebrities. And the biggest reason for those who are rich and famous to commit suicide is because they have failed to maintain the level of praise and approval from people. Because their identity is dependent so much on the affirmation and approval of people, of others. Now, one of the definitions, um, glory is is, is such such a big word to, to define. But one definition I'd like to give is this. Glory defines one's self-worth. When we say we give glory to God, it it defines his worth. When we receive glory from God, it it defines our worth in Christ Jesus. Therefore, people, in order to define or in order to maintain and secure their own self-worth, They pursue praise, affirmation, and approval of the world through appearance. If you're young, if you're old like me, no. Academic excellence, money, success, fame, and power. And this human disease of of self-glorification is so prevalent that we Christians who claim to seek God's glory are not immune to it at all. For instance, many church leaders seek their own glory by trying to build their, build their own kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. I heard a very sad story that happened uh, recently in Korea. Uh, there was a big church, and the small church moved into the building next to this big church. And the big church purchased this building in order to kick them out, to build their own kingdom. That's, you know, the, 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 the hidden motive is to to uh, build their own kingdom for their own glory, not seeking the kingdom of Christ. Also, for instance, many church leaders seek their own glory by trying to build their own kingdom in the name of Jesus. Many believers as well worship and seek God in order to receive help and assistance from God in the pursuit of their own glory through money, success, and power. A lot of our prayers are not answered or answered as no because we're seeking our own glory. And one of the most common ways of pursuing vain glory these days is through SNSs such as Facebook, 
Instagram or Twitter, how many thumbs up you have, how many people you know, uh, give, gave their attention to your posting. So when people post something, about, something good about themselves, you know, always, all the time, good about themselves, never you know, bad about themselves, they, um, they want as many likes or thumbs up as possible. I mean, it is okay to want to receive attention from other people. It is okay to want to have you know, approval from others you know, in your workplace or in your studies, in your pursuit of, of, of you know, whatever career. But when they become so uh, inordinate and to, to the point that they drive you, they drive you emotionally and psychologically more than the word of God drives you, then you are seeking your own glory. You might argue that, well, I don't do those things. I don't really care about what others think of me. I just want to focus on what I'm doing, such as building my career or making money and saving money. Well, you're still pursuing self-glorification through building your own self-sufficient and independent kingdom. All idols that we pursue and worship are the means to glorify ourselves. We talk about idols all the time. But the ultimate purpose of, of all idols that we have and we serve and worship, the ultimate purpose is, is self-glorification. We want to glorify ourselves through those idols. So we are the, the ultimate idols to ourselves. So what, what shall we do? What should we, what should we do? How can we stop pursuing self-glorification and become free from our slavery to our unceasing craving for people's affirmation, attention, and approval? Well, the answer is this, by pursuing eternal life. By pursuing eternal life. Let's read verses 39 and 40 again. Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, the Jews understood eternal life. Only as living forever in heaven. I bet that many churchgoers these days will give the same definition, exact same definition. If, if you're asked, you know, what is eternal life? Well, eternal life is living in, in heaven forever. Without the possibility, possibility of, of, of death, sorrow, or pains, or uh, illnesses. You will just live forever. However, the primary meaning of eternal life is not about living forever. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave a definition of eternal life in John chapter 17. Now, Jesus had the last teaching uh, session with, the, with his disciples uh, prior to his uh, crucifixion. Uh, that's recorded in John chapters 14 through 16. And chapter 16, he he you know, what, what is known as the high priest prayer, priestly prayer for the disciples in John chapter 17. And John chapter 17 begins with this, his teaching about the eternal life. It goes like this. When Jesus has spoken these words, he's talking about chapters 14 through 16, his last teaching. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life 
to all whom you have given me. He says, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now he talks about eternal life, and, and right after this, he gives a definition of eternal life. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He doesn't talk about eternal life as living forever. I mean, that's true. But the primary definition of eternal life is to know God the Father and to know Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, if, if, if someone wants to become, a, become the President of the United States, for instance, and then you know, someone asks him, you know, why do you want to become the President of the United States? If, some, if, if that person goes like, you know, well, you know, when I become the President of the United States, I'll have a big salary and I can save lots of money, right? And then you'll go like, what? Is that why you become, want to become the President of the United States? Now, if you became the President of the United States, I know you will have a big salary. I mean, that's, that's true. But that's not the primary purpose of becoming the President of the United States. Having eternal life, you will live forever in heaven. But that's not the primary, re- primary definition of, of having eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the eternal God, the one true eternal God, and His Son, Jesus Christ. The problem with the Jewish leaders, that they wanted to have eternal life, in the sense that they, they, they wanted to live forever in heaven. They wanted to secure their places in heaven, but they did not want God. They did not want eternal God. Now, does that someone describe you and me in the sense that we want God's help and blessings but we don't want him as much? Oswald Chambers says, we study his word and receive his blessings but do we know him? Because eternal life is is about knowing God. Now there should be a sharp distinction between knowing God and knowing about God. One can know about God by having much knowledge about Him, yet it does not necessarily mean that he or she knows God. Of course, knowledge is important. Having the right knowledge about God is important because if you don't have the right knowledge of God, you will worship the false God. You will be this, you know, one of those who, who, whom Jesus described in, in Matthew uh, chapter 7. In, 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 the, in the last days, many will come to, come to me and say, Lord, Lord, We did this, we did that for you. But Jesus said, I don't know you. I don't know you. So having the right knowledge and right theology about God is important because they serve as the tutor that should lead us and take you and me to the Lord. However, the one, the one, the one who are in the business of of knowing God is the one who seeks God from his heart through meditation and prayer. Knowing about God is the activity of your head, but knowing God is the activity of your head and your heart. Meditation is a a spiritual process many of us are so foreign to these days. It's a a must, necessary uh, spiritual process through which our knowledge becomes our life. Our knowledge about God becomes our intimate relationship and fellowship with God. 
I believe the meditation and prayer are the critical spiritual exercise and habits when it comes to knowing God and tasting eternal life through His presence, peace, and power. This is why Daniel, uh, in the Old Testament, the passage we just read, he did, not step, he did not stop praying to God even at the risk of losing his life. Daniel, uh, Daniel 6, verse 10, And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, for 30 days, if you pray uh, to the deity beside the king himself, you will be thrown into the dungeon, lion's dungeon. But he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. So he was in the habit of praying to God three times at least. See, by seeking and, and, and tasting, seeking God and tasting eternal life through knowing Him, we can be free from our unquenchable thirst for vainglory. Now, seeking vainglory, two things, that's very painful because you have to handle with fear, rejection, uncertainty, shame insecurity all the time. And the sad thing is that you cannot even stop yourself from pursuing vain glory. You don't have the power to stop yourself from seeking vain glory. You have no power. The reason why we have eternal life positionally, we came to know God as our, our, our Father and Jesus as our Lord we came to know him by God, solely by God's election, his work of redemption, and his gift of faith. We came to know him positionally. But the problem is that in our experience, are we in the habit or spiritual exercise of, of knowing God and tasting, tasting eternal life? Now, when you, when you know God, in the, in, when you are in the habit of, of knowing God, I'm not talking about just one day or one week, when you're in the habit of, of tasting eternal life, guess what's going to happen? You can be free from your slavery to pursuing your own self-glory, vain glory of this world. And secondly, you will be able to forget about yourself graciously. Now, people want to be happy. And one of the best ways that people can become happy is by forgetting themselves. You drink soju. A lot of Koreans drink soju, liquor, to forget about their situation, their lives. They do drugs. You know, uh, we, we kind of look, people, you know, we don't have to do that, sorry. People kind of look down upon those you know, mentally retarded people, but you know, they're happier than you, right? You know that, right? They, they smile all the time because they don't really think about themselves that much. The blessing from knowing God 
and experiencing eternal life does not, does not uh, uh, it, it means, means this. One can literally experience freedom from many problems, pains, and cares of the world by seeking God and knowing Him. Spurgeon, a famous preacher from the 19th century, he says, Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam for every, every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial, as a devout musing upon the subject of Godhead. Now, should you pursue vain glory or eternal life, which is knowing God your Father, Jesus your Savior, and the Holy Spirit your Comforter? You see, living forever is already done deal to us. You have a place in heaven. Praise God for that if you're a believer. Your positional salvation has already taken place apart from your works, apart from your interest, apart from your concern. It was solely done, taken care of, and, and finished, completed by God's gracious work. You're already born again as God's child by His sovereign election and by His work of regeneration. You had no participation in your being born again. You became, a, became an eternal child of an eternal God by His sovereign uh, will and sovereign work. However, there is something so significant to you and me when it comes to salvation. You have a tremendous privilege and responsibility now as a child of God that is to be saved from our slavery to sin and the world, especially to ourselves, to seeking self-glorification. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation from fear and trembling. Now, Jesus explained about being saved, salvation in different ways, but one way he explained in John 8 was being free. We're slaves to this world. Being free. Salvation is, salvation is the whole package. But the sad thing is a lot of Christians, you know, knowing and believing that they have secured their place in heaven, and that's it. They struggle so much in this world, doing the exact same thing as the people in the world do, seeking their own glory, vain glory, trying to build their own kingdom, their comfort zone. But God says, that's all vanity. We care so much about you know, others, other people's affirmation and approval, attention, praise. But do you know that there are so such frail and, 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 and weak, vulnerable? They'll all disappear. 
We're all going to disappear one after another. At the end of the day, you'll say, what vain things have I pursued? The only way, the only way we can run away and be free from a bondage to seeking self-glory and vain glory is to, is, is to seek God and His eternal life. Now, what does it mean to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? What does it mean to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? It does not mean that we should be afraid. It does mean, however, that we should have due reverence for God, who is the author of our precious salvation. It also means that we should treat our salvation, our uh, position as the child of God, the gift of eternal life, our privilege to have communion with God and to know Him with fear and trembling because they're so precious. You have the best gift you can ever have. We have the best treasure in the whole universe. When Christians become... uh, have you know, self-pity. I don't know how it's possible. You know, I, I, sometimes I, I fall into the trap as well. I don't know how it's possible when we truly believe who we are. There's no, there's no miserable Christians. Christians are all not miserable, no matter where you're at. No matter what's going on in your life, you're not miserable. The truly miserable people are those who die without knowing Christ Jesus. Don't think that you're miserable. Try to look at yourself from God's perspective. You're so blessed. And you have the privilege to continue to taste knowing God and eternal life. Because that's infinite. Plunge yourself into the study of Godhead. Just as the mother would handle her newborn child with fear and trembling because they're so precious, she doesn't want to drop him or her and hurt him or her because so precious to her, we should handle our salvation and eternal life with fear and trembling. So what do we do? How can we do that? Meditation. Meditation. You know the meaning of it. But many of us are so foreign to the practice of it. Especially these days. We're so busy. I mean, we're, we're never alone. With your s- smartphone, you know, people can, can interrupt you and intrude your house 24-7. Turn it off. Put him in a different room. Go to your closet. And meditate upon the Word of God. One of the best ways I found out from practice is that Before you go to sleep, pick a verse and meditate. Meditate until you fall asleep. You know what? Even if you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you will still meditate. You will still meditate. So sweet. In the process of that, 
You may not taste as sweet, but the outcome and result is so powerful and sweet. You will see before you even know it that you have been transformed by the power of the word. Brothers and sisters, let us pursue God more than we naturally pursue our own earthly and vainglory. Remember that you have eternal life, and that is the greatest privilege man can ever have and enjoy. The fact that you have eternal life means that you know God and He knows you. The God of the universe, He knows you. Now, you all agree with me, what I just said. But speak that truth to your soul, to yourself. The God of the heaven, He knows me. Now, what am I? Yet He knows you. He knows you. Read Psalm 90. He knows you. Come to the Father with the mindset that He knows you and, and, and plunge yourself into that reality, into that truth with your heart. And He will reveal Himself to you. When he reveals himself to you, you'll always know that you have mistaken something. You have misunderstood God. You have, you have misunderstood things about him. Because when you, when you truly realize the truth, it'll always surprise you in gracious way. Here's a promise to all those who seek him. James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, I used to think that this verse, I used to take this verse this way. Okay, God is far away from me, and I'll draw near to him, and he will come in the middle to meet with me. No, 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 no. He's with you. He's in you. He's waiting for you. Draw near to him, and you will find out that he has been with you all the time. May your daily devotion through the meditation on His Word, your prayer, be enriched and expanded because they are the means by which you are to know God and taste His eternal life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for... Lord, we cannot thank you enough, by the way. That we have come to know you. We have come to have eternal life. Lord, help us to cherish this. Because at the end of the day, nothing matters except you and us. Nothing will matter. The career, our future plans, our success and failure, what others think of us, nothing will matter. But you will accept us. You will receive us because of your Son, Christ Jesus. We thank you, and in his name we pray. Amen.